Bibles, or we will come up on the screen, we're going to look at First uh, John and chapter 4, verses one, uh, 7 through to 20. So First John, chapter 4, verses 7 through to 20. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his words. Well, you've probably heard the illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. You can tell me afterwards if, you, if you've never heard it. But it was Carol Bart, great theologian, I led to believe. I believe it's a true story. And although the name of the theologian sometimes changes, so that makes me wonder if it is a true story. But he was giving a lecture to his students. And after this lecture, there was an opportunity for the students to ask questions, anything at all, question and answers. So one student said, Dr. Bart, uh, can you tell me what's the greatest theological truth that you think you've discovered in your time as a, as a theologian? And Bart paused and simply said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And it's fascinating because you would think this guy's a theologian. He studied the depth. Um, you know, he's, he's got right into theology. Why would he just say something that's so simple? I think, I think what we deal with when we talk about the love of Jesus. Journey with me on my thought process here. We're dealing with something of a paradox. On the one hand, Jesus loves me, this I know. is one of the most simplest truths that we'll ever hear. I'm sure, I don't know who the Sunday school teachers are in here, but I'm sure it's one of the foundational messages that we teach at Sunday school. 
It's one of the foundational messages that we tell our kids. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And yet, the reality is, whilst it's the most simple and foundational truth in all of Scripture, in one sense it's the deepest truth, the most complex truth, and possibly the hardest to grasp truth. The truth is, we could actually have all the theological degrees under the sun. We could have a PhD in theology, master's in theology, know everything about eschatology, soteriology, pneumatology, the whole shebang, and still fail to grasp the simplicity and the power of the love of God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. I think someone once kind of likened that the love of Jesus is revealed in the gospel. It's, um, it's shallow enough in that sense that a, that a child can paddle in it, but it's deep enough that an elephant can swim. That's the paradox that we're, that we're dealing with. And the further paradox is we can, we can even be in church for many years, many decades, and have possibly sat and listened to thousands of sermons on the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, and yet in many ways still fall short of the reality of really truly grasping, really enjoying and experiencing and knowing in the depth of our being the reality of the love of God that's in Christ. I think part of this problem, if you agree with me that, that this is a reality, is we're fallen people, to use a theological term. We're, we're, we're fallen, we're, we're in Adam, we're born sinners, and we're fallen people. And our capacity to trust, and our capacity particularly to trust God, has actually been broken. Our capacity to receive the love of God is distorted and broken. And that, that's part of the problem. And part of that can feed into our relationships as well. Even perhaps if, if some of you perhaps are the most loving parents in the world, um, no one has perfect parents. Uh, some of us may have had very imperfect parents and perhaps you, we grew up in broken uh, family homes and all of these things affect how we process love, how we process the truth about who, about who God is. So quite literally, what I would suggest this evening is every human being, no matter how professional they are, no matter how successful, no matter how self-made they are, um, there is a sense in which we've got trust issues of one kind or another when it comes to God. Some of you might be more aware of this than others. Uh, you know, some of you may be very, very conscious at times that you struggle to really receive and rest in the truth that God loves you. And you beat yourself up uh, because of that. But, but just want you to know tonight that the battle, in a sense, whilst it's not a good thing, it is normal. It is part of the kind of warfare of our fallen flesh. It is a fight for us to really believe that we are loved by God. It's a battleground. And there's also, there's another kind of dangerous area here tonight as well. And that is, the other, and it's a very different problem. It depends on the church circles. I, I preach in different kind of churches and denominations. And I'm very conscious that, that sometimes it's also the most abused topic uh, in our churches as well. In some, in some quarters, uh, the love of God can be the most abused topic, really, just, I guess, in the world. Of course God loves me. This is a person who lives a lifestyle that really just does all sorts of things that displease God. But they'll argue with you that God loves them. 
there's no regard for the word of God, there's no fear of God, there's no interest in the things that, that God has revealed and how we can live our life and the moral choices. But, but you suggest that there's a day of judgment, you suggest that God is holy, God loves everybody. And it's amazing how even atheists can become quite strong theologians about the love of God when you start talking to them and, and witnessing to them. And another thing that's very similar to that, um, God loves everybody. God loves everyone, says the person who, again, would deny what the Bible teaches about holiness, what the Bible teaches about human relationships, about marriage, about morality, and all of these things. But God loves everyone. Who are we to say that these things, these things in our lives are wrong? So what then happens is the love of God, uh, you know, many Christians, well, there are many people who go to church, I won't use the word Christians, will actually sit under a form of teaching about the love of God, which is a distortion. They'll be told week in and week out, God is love, God is love, God is love. But it's a, it's a God of love that is a false God, and that faith that they're holding is possibly actually going to lead them to eternal damnation at the end of their journey, because it's not led them to repentance, it's not led them to holiness, and it's not led them into a real transforming relationship with the true God and his son Jesus Christ. It's a Santa Claus God. It's a kind of grandfatherly figure uh, that's not the true and the living God. I remember when I was studying at the Baptist College, I stumbled across a wee book by someone called P.T. Forsyth. Uh, and it, the book was called The Cruciality of the Cross. A little, um, little thin book, but deep. And, and he made this point. He says, the love of God is first and foremost holy love and I think that's how we separate the false love of God from the true love of God the true love of God is first and foremost a holy love it's a pure love and it's a purifying love as well so just before we kind of get into kind of some of the, the kind of key points this evening I just wanted to think briefly as well about some of the benefits of the love of God the apostle John in this this epistle this letter that he writes he deals with so many things and in this particular passage, he deals with fear and anxiety. He says, there is no fear in love, but love casts out fear. So he begins to talk about fear in our lives. That's something that's relevant for every one of us, and we'll come to that in a moment. He talks about obeying God. He basically says to love God is to obey God. And then he also talks about true love as loving our brothers, as loving our sisters, Primarily talking about the church, but it's wider than that as well. It's loving our neighbour. It's loving other humans. Love would be easy if it weren't for the people problem, wouldn't it? Um, it's one of those. It's one of those challenges. But those three areas. Think about it. Fear, obeying God's loving people is actually probably how our life revolves. Our life revolves around those three areas. Crucial areas that we face every single moment of our lives. Really. Think about it. We're faced with choices on a daily basis. Every moment of our lives, we're faced with a choice. Is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say, something that's going to honour God, or is it something that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit? Is what I'm going to say, please the Father, or is it something um, that's going to displease Him, something that will bring God's displeasure? Is what I'm about to say something that's going to build up this other person, this other human being? Or is it something that's going to tear them down? Is my reaction to 
how someone mistreats me. Um, worthy of the Christ whose name I bear. And, and that becomes difficult because when someone mistreats us, there's a sense of justice that rises up in the insides. And we want to defend ourselves, we want to deal with the injustice, the thing that's been said that's unfair. And it, it's difficult. But these are the things that we, that we face. What about when negative circumstances come? And they can come in different forms. Tonight in the prayer meeting, we were praying for various people who various sicknesses and illnesses. What about when we get the doctor's report that we didn't want to get? Does that come and strike fear into your heart? What about when you hear some bad news about one of your children or a member of your family? Or there's something that happens that just brings anxiety and brings fear and we can find ourselves 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, unable to sleep. It's like a record player that's stuck and the thoughts are going through. We're working through all the angles. We're anxious. We're worried. We're stressed. And all of these things are there. So what John's, what John's teaching us about the love of God, this is deeply, deeply practical tonight. Because it will, he's not just saying live a life free from fear, be nice to everyone and do everything that God tells you to do. If that was all we could take out of this message, we would be the most hopeless and depressed people leaving this meeting tonight. He does say those things, but he also shows us how it's possible. How it's possible to have anxiety and fear uprooted in our life and have it taken out of our life and have it reduced in our life. He's shown us how it's possible for us to have God-glorifying relationships and he's shown us how it's possible to live in a way that glorifies him through obeying him. Let me kind of explain what I mean. God doesn't just say this is how you need to live, but he shows us how it's possible. How can I love God more? How can you love God more? How can we love God with the way that he requires and desires that we should love him? Well, what John seems to be saying here, we'll, it's not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. So if I can understand the reality of God's love for me, that becomes a catalyst that enables me to love him. So we don't start looking at our religious performance. We don't kind of take like a spiritual checklist and say, well, how's my prayer life doing? How is my holiness doing? How's my serving of other people? How's my, my praying for those that are sick? How's my church attendance? Am I making it to the prayer meeting? Am I not? And all of a sudden we're kind of measuring our spiritual performance. John said, don't, don't start there. Start with the love of God. Start with God's love for you. When we meditate and dwell on the truth that we are loved by God, what happens is it starts to change our hearts. It changes who we are in the inside. And what then starts to happen is we actually desire to love him more. We desire to serve him more because his love is awakening a love for him. About, I guess it is a bit like falling in love with the people that we love. The reality is when you and I love someone in our family or a wife or, you know, or a husband, when you love someone, it's no burden to do something for them. It's no burden to please them when we love them. And it's the exact same with God as well. His love for us awakens our love for him. Let me ask this question today. I believe this is more relevant than what we often perhaps focus on in the pulpit. How can we live free from fear? How can we live free from anxiety? 
I was actually reading First Corinthians 11 the other day, and it's in that bit where Paul's saying it's better not to marry. Uh, better not to marry, it's too stressful. There's a kind of summary of what's going on there. But there's a, there's a wee phrase, I, I wish you were, I want you to be free from anxieties. I thought, oh wow, I want you to be free from anxieties. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. God is saying to me, I want you to be free from anxieties. And of course, Jesus said it as well, didn't he? He says, do not worry. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Do not worry. Why are you so afraid? Paul, um, cast your anxieties upon him. I, I misquoted that this morning as well. Um, cast your anxieties upon him whenever... <laughs> I misquoted that this morning. It's a verse in Philippines where it says, In the peace of God, uh, which transcends our understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Because we're basically giving him our worries and our strengths. Be anxious for nothing, is basically what, what Paul says there. So if Paul says be anxious for nothing, and elsewhere he says I want you to be free from anxieties, and Jesus says the same thing, this is something that God wants in our life. Now I come from quite an anxious family. Honestly, my grandfather was so anxious. He thought something, he was so worried that if he made a cup of tea and put a tea bag in the bin while it was still hot, he was worried that it would go on fire. I mean, he had hyper-anxiety. And that's probably passed down. You know, you can always kind of recognise our family. I'm just going to sit here and do a wee illustration. You know, my mum's leg was, you know, tempted to when she's sitting, uh, chatting and talking in social company. And, you know, all of us are affected by different things in different ways. But the love of God is something that can flush and wash anxiety out of our lives. You know, Realising that God loves us, the all-powerful, almighty God, the God who created the whole universe, the universes, the galaxies, this creator God. I mean, think, you know, if we could look through the Hubble telescope just now to the largest star that they can see, it's, it's much bigger than our sun. It's like ferocious power. And the God who breathed all of that into existence and the God who creates life is the God who loves us, a God who loves you. The truth is, if God loves you, and if God loves me, you and I have literally got absolutely nothing to fear. What can man do to you? If God is for you, who can be against you? And no wonder the psalmist expressed it at different times, that even although the mountains give way and fall into the heart of the sea, I will not fear you know, if God is for us, what is the worst that can happen? And even if the worst, naturally speaking, does happen, if God is on our side, the best is yet to come. We can go through absolutely anything, no matter how dark the valley of the shadow of death is. If God is with us, we don't have to fear. Greater is he that lives in us than he that's in the world. So my key verse tonight is, although I've probably lingered a little bit long on the introduction, there's verse 16, uh, I don't know if it's there, uh, verse 16 of 1 John chapter 4, it basically says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So I think this is the key, my title tonight is Knowing the Love of God. And the apostle saying we've come to know and we've come to believe the love that God has for us. I want to just encourage us tonight, do we know the love, do you know the love that God has for you? Do you believe the love that God has for you this evening? That word knows gets different connotations. Somebody prayed tonight, I don't know if it was Alec again at the prayer meeting. Lord, or maybe it was Ian, we don't just want to 
have knowledge and facts tonight. There was something along that, that way that it was prayed. There is a sense in which not, the apostle here is saying that you should, we should know the truth that God loves us. That truth is foundational. We need to know what God says. If the word of God never told us that he loves us, we wouldn't have, a, we wouldn't have anything to stand on. So we need to know the objective truth that we are loved by God. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that's foundational. But you and I know this evening that that knowledge in and of itself is not enough. Somebody once said the longest distance in the world is from our heads to our hearts. And really there's a second way in which we need to understand the word knowing or the word knowledge. So we have come to know. It's not just the knowing the truth in our minds, although that is vitally important. But there's a sense in which it also talks about relationship and it talks about experience. Adam knew his wife Eve. It talks about Adam and Eve being intimately and experientially related together. And this is really what John's getting at as, as well. True knowing is also relational and it's experiential. But how is that brought about? How do we come into that reality of that experiential relational knowledge? Well, there's three things I think we, we see here. First thing is we can know this, we can experience this because of the word of God. First John in chapter 5 and verse 13, at the end of the, the letter, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John's saying, I'm writing this truth so that you might know that you've got eternal life, so that you might know that you are loved by God. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. So simple, but yet at times so difficult to grasp. I was reflecting on this. If, if God hadn't given us his words, if the word of God hadn't come and revealed that God loved us, how would we know that God loves us? All we would have is creation and providence. That's all we would have. Creation and providence. And where would that get us? Well, we could maybe wake up and maybe say, well, the sun is shining. My crops are growing. My family is well and taken care of. God must love me. Next day, the storm clouds are gathering. The locusts have wiped out the crops. Family are sick. Does God love me? Where's the God of love in this world where there's starvation and where there's tragedy and where there's sickness? Looking at creation and looking at providence, there really wouldn't be any assurance that God unconditionally and absolutely loves us. God had to come and bring revelation and bring that revelation through his word and through his prophets and through the scriptures so that we can know that God loves us. Without the word of God, all we would have is feelings and circumstances and our conscience and all of these things drag us down. Your feelings at times will tell us that God doesn't love us. Our circumstances will tell us that we're outside of God's will, that we're not really walking this Christian life the way that we should. The devil, who the Bible says is the accuser of the brethren, will come and undermine the truth of God's word that God loves you. He will whisper in your ear that God doesn't love you, that you're unworthy of his love, uh, that there's too much sin in your life for God to fully love you. So the first way in which we can absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that all hell shall come and assail us in our lives that we are loved by God is because the Bible tells us so. The second thing is 
the Holy Spirit also helps us uh, to know the love of God. You know, I did say that knowledge is experiential and relational, and that can be a dirty word in some evangelical circles. But the language of the New Testament is the language of experience. John uh, 3 and 24, what, sorry, 1 John 3 and 24 says, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13 says the exact same thing. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John's telling us something else here. It's not just Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, but it is that. It's also Father loves me, this I know for the spirit tells me so. Paul talks about in Romans how the spirit of God will testify to our spirit that we are God's children. Paul also says um, in that passage in Romans, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is in our life? How do we know that we're born again of the Holy Spirit? Well, there's many manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about the Holy Spirit bringing us to a place of faith and repentance. We can talk about the gifts and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But one of the primary manifestations of the Holy Spirit is the love of God. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Paul and John are talking about something here which is deeply experiential. This is not just a, a knowledge of a fact that Jesus loves me. This is the, the love of Jesus right now is pouring into my heart. He is pouring into my heart by his Spirit. You know, today I was very conscious as I was preparing this message of the limitations of preaching in the love of God. I honestly feel that it's something that we don't even really, we're unable to scratch the surface of. We're literally just touching a drop in the ocean of the love of God. But you know, what I would say this is the love of Jesus Christ that changed my life. It was the love of Jesus Christ that brought that assurance that Jesus was real. When I was 18 years of age, I was addicted to alcohol. I'd been living a lifestyle of drugs, uh, getting involved in a lot of petty crime, and I stumbled into a gospel hall uh, that was something not unlike this. Heard about Jesus as my saviour. And that following weekend, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And this day, sitting on a bus, having asked Jesus to come into my life, I just remember this love washing over me. It was tangible. And that love, as it washed over me, washed fear away, washed guilt away, washed shame away. It was tangible. I knew it was Jesus, and I knew that it was the presence of heaven that was touching my life. I hadn't read in the Bible where it says, perfect love will drive out fear. In other words, the fears that we've got in our hearts and our life, when his love comes in, like the, in the same way that the light, when we turn the light on, it drives out the darkness, so his love will drive out fear and anxiety in our lives. It was tangible. It was real. And then as I read more, I see it in the Bible, I see it in church history. John Wesley, when he was converted, he says, my heart was strangely warmed. That's how he described the love of Jesus Christ touching and changing his heart. 
hymn writers have tried to put it into words. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. These are all just words that different people have tried to use to try and capture this picture of the love of God. And let me just say tonight, we've got a saying in Glasgow um, regarding the love of God. And I think it's true. It's better felt than tell. Uh, or it's better caught than taught. We need the knowledge. We need the proclamation of the truth that God loves us. But we need to go from there into experiencing this reality of the love of God in our hearts. Just finally, because the danger in that is, is we start to look within and we start to look at an experience and we start to measure an experience with us. We think, well, I don't feel that God loves me. Finally, we know God's love by looking to Jesus. Verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the difference between the true love of God and the love of God that you hear in liberalism and that liberal Christianity will proclaim. Liberal Christianity will give us a God of love without the cross. But from the New Testament perspective, we see the Apostle John here, the Apostle of love. There is no true love of God without the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no love of God without Jesus. The Hindu will speak about the love of God. Um, you know, Buddhists will even talk about universal love. But the Bible is absolutely crystal clear that the, God has demonstrated his love by sending Jesus Christ. It's amazing. The love is the Father has sent his Son. The second person of the Trinity journeyed from glory to Golgotha. God the Son clothed himself with humanity. He comes and he lives amongst us. And God sends his Son to reveal the heart of God to us. What, what is God's heart towards you this evening? Well, Jesus reveals the heart of God. Jesus helps us understand what God is all about. What is God saying through Jesus? Is Jesus God's way of saying, I hate you, humanity? Is Jesus God's way of saying, that's it, world, I'm finished with you? Heaven forbids. From the babe in the manger... To the mangled man on the cross, Jesus is God's love letter to a lost and dying world. Jesus on the cross is God's love letter to you and to me. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want to just talk about propitiation for a moment. It's the idea of a sacrifice turning away the wrath of God. So, so what we can see here is you and I have got a mountain of sin that's separating us from God and it's the cross that removes that mountain of sin. We've got a record as high as the sky and God is a God of justice. He must judge sin and all of us are far more guilty of sin than we realise. Most of us you know we've grown up in the western world. Some of you may have grown up with great morals and great values and generally speaking, you could say you've grown up and been a good person. But before a holy God, we are all sinners. We are all worthy of condemnation. Jesus needed to come and die for every single human being. There is not one human being who's good in and of him, himself or herself. So it's the Son of God who comes to take that upon himself. We sing it in the hymns. In my place condemned 
he stood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. On the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And wrapping all of this together, justice says the sword should fall on you. Justice says the sword should fall on me. But love lets the sword fall on Jesus Christ. And as he's hung there in a tree, crucified, pierced with a spear, crown of thorns on his head, he is removing the wrath of God for you and I. He has taken upon himself the wrath of a holy and just God in order that we can love God. He's not dying for our sins in order to make God love us, but he's dying for our sins because God does love us and is wanting to draw us into a relationship with himself. So this is how we know the love of God and that we believe in the love that he has given us. Let me just ask this evening, do we believe, do we trust that God loves us and do we know and rest in that reality? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I ask and pray that more than the the human limitations of trying to touch a subject, Lord, which is so vast, which is so holy, which is so beyond our ability to comprehend or communicate, Father, I ask and pray that your spirit would come and do what only the spirit of God can do. That your Holy Spirit would awaken in our hearts the truth of your words. That your Holy Spirit would whisper in our hearts the assurance that we are bought by the blood of Jesus, that we are loved by God. That your Holy Spirit would fill us, washing away all of our fear. I pray for each of us this evening, O God, as we come to this table, Lord, that you would help us know with absolute assurance that we can come before the throne of grace this evening, that we can come into that intimate secret place with God the Father, that God is pleased with every person in here, not because of who we are in ourselves, but because Jesus has made us pleasing and acceptable to the Father, that we are loved perfectly in him, and nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Father, we confess like the church in Ephesus, we often lose our first love. But this evening, Father, we ask and pray that you would rekindle the flames of our first love. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's um, continue uh, singing. We're going to sing um, 540, The Price is Paid.